0: Everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Dollar Bin Bandits, the only podcast with old friends discussing old comics and the people that created them. I'm Joe Marcello, joined as always by my partners in crime, Orin Phillips. Good evening, and Mike Farah. Hey, hey, hey. So, in a couple of moments, you're going to hear uh, an interview that we had with comic book royalty, a man that's been in comics for decades. Uh, He has uh, his work has inspired a good bit of the MCU. Uh, We're going to be talking to none other than Thanos' dad himself, Jim Starlin. Um, Jim, uh, we just, you know, this interview came together really fast. So this is only going to be an audio only version. So there's no video to it. Um, and we had the opportunity to talk to him about, you know, some of his work in Marvel, but more importantly, his continuing work on his uh, comic book series, Dreadstar.
1: Yeah. Dreadstar was like the prime book for the epic line in the eighties. And it's been passed around a little bit, uh, from different writers, but he's back on it now. It's, it's awesome. It's really worth checking out. Also he's talking a little bit about his time on Shang-Chi that movie's coming out very soon. Uh, I think you'll really find that interesting and uh cool guy. This is one of those interviews that Joe and I were both through like, uh, so he said yes to this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're really in the big leagues now. Uh, it, it was a great, great experience. I'm excited to hear more about um, uh,
2: Jim and his his work. Uh, he always just cornered the market on cosmic stories, right? Uh, Shang Chi maybe as an exception, but uh, always larger than life, universal, um, you know, eternal kind of characters. And uh, really, one of my sort of formative influences, especially his work on all the Infinity series, especially the first one, Infinity Gauntlet. So i um, excited to hear more from Jim and what you guys did with this interview. So let's go to it. Uh, we are
0: absolutely positively thrilled to have comic book legend Jim Starlin join us. Thank you, sir. Hey, how, are you? how are you doing there? Doing very well, thank you. How are you?
3: Uh, having a good day. Having a good day. Thank you.
0: Good, good. Well, uh, I'm going to start off with. Uh, asking you about Dreadstar. Uh, I have just started uh, kind of uh, diving into it myself uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, artwork is absolutely fantastic, I have to say.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: <clears throat> um, so why Dreadstar? Why now?
3: Well, yeah. Um... I had been uh, out of the drawing business for about three years because of an injury to my hand, Mm -hmm. uh, compressed air accident, explosion. Um, It took me quite a while squeezing rubber balls and doing hand exercises and the harassment of my inker, my future inker, Jamie Jameson, uh, to uh, get around to uh, actually trying it again. And this to start off with was a drawing of. uh, Dr. Doom that uh, Jamie was bugging me for, and I finally, uh, after a convention one night, I uh, sat down in the hotel room, and much surprise for eyes the hand didn't cramp up. Uh, after five minutes like it had been doing for the last few years, uh, I guess the physical exercise and everything else uh, had finally paid off. So um, uh, after a series of events, i eventually actually wanted to Draw a book again, and I uh, didn't want to go back to the majors, so kind uh, of deal with ominous. Uh, brought Jamie on board as the inker, and uh, the rest is sort of history at this point. We uh, produced this book that I'm kind of proud of, and uh, seems to be getting received fairly well at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I've uh, I, I really really like it, and uh, you know, being a very individual person that I am, I, I'm enjoying the artwork thoroughly, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned. And, uh, uh, you know, sorry to say, I will be gushing a bit while talking to you. I hope you don't mind. Um, but, it let, you know, it's, it, I can really appreciate the time and work that went into creating this.
3: Well, this is the pandemic book. There was uh, during the quarantine uh, myself, uh, I had nothing else to do other than uh, draw and uh, clear deadwood from the six acres of uh, property I was living on at the time. Uh, A little bit more difficult for my anchor. She ended up getting COVID not once, but twice, and uh, just barely survived it in the middle of the job. And so we're all very lucky that uh, she made it through. And uh, we're continuing to work together on uh, the next book. Uh, As I speak to you, I'm sitting here uh, looking at the page I'm doing, and uh, I can see across the room she's inking, uh, I think, about page 17. Oh, no, she's doing a a commission piece right at the moment. My mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. So where did you get your
0: inspiration for, for writing this, or creating this?
3: In this particular story, it started off wanting to go back and uh, I'm not exactly knowing where to begin, but uh, I figured the first place was to figure out where these people were 25, the characters were 25 years later, because I wanted the same lag period between my working on them and their their story. And as I went through it, I uh, came across this one character who I always thought I'd done sh- short shift on this character and uh, wanted to bring this character back with the rest of them. This is a spoiler thing I'm playing around in. <laughs> and so, uh, from this story, uh, from this character, I uh, generated a cosmic, uh, unrequited love story and um, started putting it together and then... We had a little trouble with the last occupant of the White House, uh, deciding he was going to use uh, one of my characters, Thanos, in his political ads. And I thought he was doing a particularly bad job, especially on handling the epidemic. And uh, thousands of people, I think, directly died from his neglect. So I figured he was fair to use. The worst I did with him was uh, mock him and... uh, parody him so but uh, he was the first part of the story and then we work into the cosmic uh, love story
1: i wanted to ask real quick uh the, the beginnings of dread star you started with with the epic line was this a story that you initially pitched to the the mainline marvel or was this something that you wanted to do for yourself and when epic offered the creator owned um you know line of comics you said okay this is the place for it Hey, guys, you know, we talk a lot about comics, one comic that is one of our favorites is Yeet Presents. It's one of the best independent comics on the market. The newest issue just came out, Chamber of Yeet story by upcoming guest Len Mahalovich, right there on the cover. Flip it over, our pal Dennis Miller did a story, too. Uh, Also stories in there by a good friend and former guest, Jason Mink, along with other great talents. Uh, Some of the folks who've been in Yeet Presents, Mike Barron. Uh, Tom Morzachowski, Steve uh, Rude, a lot of other... Uh, William Messnerlo. Yes. He's one of the constants on there. So check it out. And the links down below is the uh, How to Get It. It's five bucks an issue. Comes out monthly. You're not going to regret picking up EAT Presents.
3: Uh, the latter. Uh, they decided they were going to do Epic Illustrated. Uh, there was a initial... Uh, editor up there who uh, apparently didn't work out and then archie goodwin came in who i have admired uh, who i admired for many years before his editorial skills and uh, to this day i'd say he was the best one i've ever worked with uh, so i started off doing uh, the metamorphosis odyssey in installments in uh, epic illustrated um, later went off and did the price at uh, <laughs> i'm forgetting the name of that publisher uh, the dark horse no, it was Melody's uh, Eclipse. Eclipse. Okay. Yep. Uh, later on, uh, came back and did another installment for Epic Illustrated, and then uh, we did the started up on the Dreadstar Star comic book through the Epic comic line. Uh, from there, it went to uh, First Comics. After I had trouble getting paid any further for Marvel, at a certain point, uh, there was a bookkeeping snafu. And so, uh, finished off the instrumentality uh, storyline in that, and uh, at first, and then Peter David took over as the scripter, along with uh, Angel Medina for the most part as the penciler. Uh, From there, when that first and the original Dreadstar book uh, discontinued, came to an end, went over later to Malibu, and Peter David did a uh, female version of. Dreadstar uh, which ran 6 issues and now I'm at ominous and uh, working with Jamie and uh, producing we our plans are to produce a uh, Dreadstar graphic novel once a year the next one will be Dreadstar versus the inevitable
1: what do you think it is about the book that that caught on with fans so much i mean it, it was the most i think pretty much the most popular book on the epic line and it's it's continued you know through the decades and now it's back again
3: I think it's his rebellious nature. I always said that uh, Dreadstar is a, an anarchist without a second. He's very good at breaking things and bringing down uh, horrible governments. But uh, as his stories proved, he's not very good at going through and uh, working his way into a peaceful society. So I think it's the rebellion, the sort of going it alone uh, quality of the character that I think people probably have. Identify with, especially right now, with <laughs> everything that's <is> going on. <laughs> it's very easy to be skeptical.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one question I had about your work in general is that you you it's you tend to have or lean towards uh, like the personification of death or death as a, like a reoccurring theme in your work, and I find that very interesting. Um, why is that something that you Come back to.
3: Well, a famous writer whose name is escaping me right at the moment once uh, said that uh, the only true stories end in death, and uh, it's ridiculous to think that the stories that we produce as comic book writers uh, and artists—that occasionally, that there is a lose, uh, there's a loss to be faced. Um, you don't always win. That's what a, a lot of the next Dreadstar graphic novel is about is the fact that occasionally you have to accept that there are certain things in life you can't do anything about. I think we've all learned that lesson over the last year or so with the quarantine and the and the COVID-19. Sometimes you just face something things that you cannot do anything about except write it out. And doing that, uh, I think death is part of the equation that you uh, you'll be unrealistic uh, working it into the not working it into the story.
0: No, I I agree with you. I think that makes sense. Um, Why do you think that there seems to be such a. At least as it pertains to maybe, let's say, more mainstream comic book uh, publishers, they tend to shy away from. Some of those religious or I, I, and I'm just I'm doing your quotes when I say religious type figures, death and and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe part of it has to do with the com- comics code back in the day, but um, you don't seem to shy away from that.
3: Well, I know that I'm not going to get everybody coming in and buying uh, Star like they would is the number of people who would come in and uh, buy Spider-Man or X-Men or Superman or Batman. And so the two big companies, they tend to avoid anything political or controversial because they have to sell in all 50 states and uh, they're more visible. Uh, you know, if Spider-Man was to do a story on uh, racism, uh, it would get into the papers. Dreadstar uh, you know, online uh, reporters like yourself and that, but it's not going to be in the New York Times. So I can get away with a lot of stuff because I don't have the uh, physical, uh, the financial responsibilities on my shoulder to uh, keep any stockholders happy or do anything other than satisfy my own artistic whims. Makes sense.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, because your, your, your writing has such a, I, I don't know. It's like an epic feel about it. When when you were working, you know, with, with the big two, was it tough for you to be creative with these sort of parameters put on where you can go and to keep it towards, you know, a, a general audience?
3: In the 1970s, it was much easier when I first started off uh, working with Roy Thomas up at Marvel. Roy was the only editor, and pretty much, if it wasn't broken, he felt he didn't have to fix it. And if the sales were doing anything in a positive way, have at it, you used to think. Uh, nowadays, is a whole different story. Um, I've run into editors with uh, six months experience in the business who uh, demanded I give them a uh, tight and complete script. That's never never a, a, a script synopsis that is, can't vary from in the least without them uh, freaking out. So that's why I don't work with uh, the mainstream ones, and I'd rather have the freedom uh, to artistically go where I want with my own creation.
1: When you first started, I mean, you were really right there on the front lines of that, that second wave coming through Marvel, but you also got to spend time with, with you know, the originals. Um, could you talk a little about uh, when you are first starting out and who were some of your mentors that sort of helped push you in the, in the direction that you went well
3: before i ever got into the business i met steve Ditko uh, on a trip to new york when i was 16 oh wow <laughs> in, he invited me up to a studio and we talked for a couple hours and i learned quite a bit there uh later on along the lines uh frank geocoya up at marble was very ha- helpful um just teaching me the mechanics of how the comics were put together, and uh, and sort of directing me in becoming uh, Marvel's first ad hoc uh, art director. They'd never had one before. It's just whoever was around made art changes <laughs> that Stan wanted, and uh, this was the beginning of them expanding. So uh, <laughs> I had the job before Don Ramita. And uh, let's see, who else uh, you know? I I've got a. I had a lot of help from folks I was just working with, you know, uh, Alan Weiss and Steve Englehart. Uh, I'd work up at uh, Neil Adams Continuity occasionally uh, with the, the Krusty Bunkers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of people I got to thank down the line, you know, uh, working with Al Milgram as my anchor, others, Dan Green. Uh, some beautiful work coming out of uh, Klaus Janssen working with him. That was a pleasure. Got to thank everybody
1: I ever worked with. You know, I've been yep. very lucky.
3: I have the talent I'm working with and, uh, you
1: know, I still do to this day. 100%. And I want to bring up um character that you worked on who's, who's getting popular now. Uh, Shang-Chi is, you know, with the, the film coming out. Um, when you were working on that, because you you know, a lot of the work you did involved cosmic themes and, you know, a, a wider thing and you do a character that's more earth-based. Um, did you have to change anything about your style or your mindset, or was it sort of an easy transition to do that?
3: Um, uh, Shane T, it was, um, it was a project that Stephen Hart and I really wanted to do, um, uh, it was a little bit too earthbound uh, for me, so that's why I only stayed for the three issues. <laughs> I, I like the space stuff. Uh, I just find it uh, more—it's—it's it's freeing. You don't have the constraints of uh, a set society, and so you can build your own world and do the stories that you want to do. Plus, you don't have to draw horses or cars. <laughs> That's uh, so that, that's why you know, Chi was a bit of a change, but uh, it was a temporary change, and I I went back to what I do best. Makes sense.
0: Uh, I'd be uh, so. I'm a big DC guy. I mean, I, I don't limit myself just to DC, but I am a I lean more towards that. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about death of the death in the family. Okay. Uh, it was certainly as part of my. You know, early comic book career. It was a very pivotal moment. Uh, if for any other reason, the fact that it was the first thing I'd ever seen where it was uh, uh, affected by the the fans calling in to suggest the death of a character. Um, wh- how, how did that come about?
3: Well, I was uh, lobbying to uh, to not. Well, I didn't want to use Robin to begin with. Uh, when I was writing Batman, I found the whole idea of Dressed Being dressed up in grays and blacks and bringing along a teenage sidekick who you put in primary colors went beyond child abuse. It was just out and out child endangerment. Uh, So I tried to avoid using Robin. And uh, at one point, uh, DC was uh, considering using one of their characters to to, uh, give him age so they could do an age book. And I tried to stuff the ballot box with Robin's name, but uh, in, in, in the end, it was Olson who won. And for different reasons, they decided uh, not to do the AIDS book at all. So, but later on, um, Denny O'Neill came up with. Uh, he found out about the call-in thing where Marvel or DC could make twenty-five uh, percent, twenty-five cents out of every fifty-cent call that uh, was made on the vote. And so they uh, came back to uh, getting rid of Robin, and Denny uh, uh, contacted me. I came up with a plot synopsis, and uh, you know, it
1: went from there. Say, so it's interesting from what you said before with your experience with shang Chi. Um, did the DC approach you to do Batman, um, or was that you say to them, I, "I'd be interested in, in taking a crack at this"?
3: Uh, I had been doing a little bit of work up there with DC, and uh, Denny needed a fill-in issue of Batman. Uh, it was uh, somewhere after the Max Collins run. And um, I said, OK, I'll do one. And he said, I turned it in. Uh, he liked it. Uh, and they said could you do another one we need another one and by the time i got around to doing like the fourth book i asked am i the regular writer on the book and then he said well let me think about that (laughs) this is about the time we were doing the ten nights of the beast so it turned out i looked like i was going to be the regular for a while
0: makes sense that's a that's a character that's not used enough I really like
3: oh uh, no probably not i'd like to see a little bit more of him but you know uh he did make it into the movie uh, batman versus superman so i got yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: <laughs> hey so did you you made it into a movie too so you know
3: yeah for movie. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: so I, I again just bringing it back to uh dc related stuff sorry um but you had a chance to work on um Wild Storm created or, or origins of uh of characters uh in uh Stormwatch. And you kind of rewrote the history a bit in that. Uh what was the uh what was your inspiration to doing that?
3: Uh basically the editor asked me to uh, revamp the uh the uh, they were going through one of their uh, 52 revamps of the whole line, and right. uh, they just asked me to do something with uh, um, Stormwatch. Uh, apparently, one of the editors who wasn't around at the time I did it uh, really didn't really hated it, so as soon as I was off the book, it was gone. Oh, oh, wow. it, was, it was kind of fun, uh, you know. I was working with Evil and that, and uh, We had a good little time. I mean, it was was a nice little romp, redesigning, and um, you know, it was a good exercise. It didn't go anywhere in the long run, but uh, uh, basically, it was. uh, I was at a hired gun on that one, though.
0: Got it. What was the? And you know, I don't, I don't know if you were a a part of this um, at the time, but what was the mindset of DC at the time with New Fifty Two? Because it seems like they had they had lofty goals for it and um, have been doing a lot of backpedaling ever since
3: well it was chaotic i'll have to tell you um, a lot of times when they did uh, you know uh, decided to do the, the big crossovers uh, and uh, their changes and their revamps uh, it was pretty much utter chaos and uh, uh, you know it was during a period that i was just I had a lot of. I actually had a lot of financial uh, uh, responsibilities at that point that I had to fulfill, and so I, I kept coming back and doing more work for them. Uh, and uh, at the time, I thought, "Gee, if I could get out of working here, I would do it in a moment." Oh, wow! <laughs> now I have, and uh, I'm glad to not have to go back there again. Wow. Okay. There was no nastiness; it was
0: just chaos. You know? Understood. Yeah, yeah. And you look as a fan. I think we've seen a lot of that trickle down, you know, to through the books and into the media and you know in various outlets. So, yeah, I can I can only assume from a, a management office standpoint, it must have been absolutely bananas. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, yeah, yeah. I have one more quick question. So I know we're coming kind of up on time, but. Uh, I saw on Facebook, you and, uh, Rob Layfield were at the Avengers, uh, at, uh, Universal, I don't know, Marvel, at, uh, Disney, I should say. Yeah. First off, it blows my mind, two of the biggest names in comic books hanging out at this place, but how was it for you?
3: Oh, it was fun. I mean, uh, I haven't been to Disney in, in 30 years, and, uh, uh, you know, I went there with Jamie Jameson and uh, Rob, and uh, we hung out. And we got to do the Spider Man ride, which is uh, quite amazing. And I haven't been to any of these things. You know, I went to the Guardians ride, uh, which is a hoot, uh, roller coaster, stuff like that. And uh, we got to shoot, uh, shoot webs from the Spider Man uh, ride. Uh, it's it's like a first person shooter game that you dri- drive around in. So, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, it's, 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 quite a rock.
0: Yeah. I hear they have a real live Spider-Man type robot that does flips around the people, not animatronic or, you know, attached to wires, but it's quite legit. A robot.
3: Well, um, it starts off with a, a, a guy in costume who does some acrobatics, um, I have a feeling it's that's going to be a hard job because uh, while we were watching him for the one of the first demonstrations he banged his head really well out of crate no. while doing his flips <laughs> kept going I mean I got a hand it to him kept going and then there is a uh, he goes out of sight and then there's a, the Spider Man that goes from one building rooftop to the other uh, that's where the animatronic comes in got it. And uh, I think uh, on the Instagram, we got just a brief glimpse of it because we didn't know where he was coming from. This is like the first time. So he shoots in and out of the screen and then down onto the other building. But uh, it's brief and, you know, you got to hand it to him. They really go into town trying to
1: make the best of it. (laughs) That's uh, pretty amazing. They do some great stuff there. I say, did you ever think that one day uh, kids and families would have their picture taken with Thanos uh, and Mickey Mouse on the same day?
3: (laughs) I don't haven't seen any Thanos running around there yet. Okay, (laughs) Uh, Mickey and a lot of the other ones. I think the villains they tend to not want to scare the the little ones, so they. uh, uh, At this point on Avengers Campus, uh, they have a few uh, other actors walking around doing the heroes thing, you know. uh, So Black Widow, Thor, Captain America uh yeah and we were on the disney the adventure side i guess of disney rather than on the other side so i haven't really seen all of disney yet gotcha. or what the cab over there but uh you know there, it's it, it's no not, i had no idea this was ever going to happen especially back in 1970 when thanos first hit the board uh the fact that he would be a uh a screen star was just beyond my comprehension at that point. We were still dealing with uh, movies that have flying saucers on uh, strings.
0: <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I have the Infinity Gauntlet right behind me.
3: I can see that. I, oh, you I, do? Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I have, I have the other one, too. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm a mark for all this stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well uh, being mindful of your time, I want to thank you for joining us. It's uh, you, we had a ton of questions and would have chewed your ear off for just an hour or more <laughs> with all the questions that we had but we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us. We really do and Nobody thank you for
3: sense.
0: Thank you so much for everything you've done for comics yes. and the business <laughs> in general. It's just fantastic from from us
1: yeah, most definitely. Man. And where's the right. best place people could buy uh, the new Dreadstar? Is it are they available in shops or uh, uh, them not them in all? the shops
3: yet? We're working on that. Uh, they have to go to ominouspress.com okay. and uh, just pretend it's Amazon and you're buying a <laughs> uh, rotor router or something there from them. But uh, we will get it set up in the comic book shops. But right now with the quarantine pandemic and everything, uh, everything's running behind, and so it's a uh, Mail order only at this point.
1: Sounds good. We'll put the link in, our, in the description.
3: I appreciate that. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much, Great. sir.
0: So that was our interview with Jim Starlin. Um, that was damn cool. Uh, you know, uh, we really appreciate him taking the time out of his day uh, to you know sit down with us and talk. Uh, clearly, he was in the midst of actually working while he was talking to us. So uh, we really thank you for taking the time to do that.
1: And it was really interesting. I think something Mike mentioned in the intro that he said that, that he was really a lot more comfortable doing the cosmic stuff, doing the stuff that had a broader scope of things and more, uh, earthbound stories. And I think that kind of tells with his writing, but it's, it's really what makes him so good at doing what he does. Yeah,
2: it was, um, it was certainly an enlightening, um, interview, uh, short and sweet, you know, we usually go on for quite a while with some of these guests, but, uh, Glad to get a uh, more concise one in there. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, uh, As you're listening to this podcast only episode, uh, do remember that we have a YouTube channel. So you can go look for Dollar Bin Bandits on YouTube, see previous episodes that we've recorded. And uh, we're on social, as you hopefully know by now. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dollar Bin Bandits. On Twitter, we are at DBBandits. You can find us anywhere there. We're always putting up some interesting conversations, retweeting stuff, and we'd love to hear from you. So please reach out and look for more episodes uh, coming soon. Peace. Later. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Orrin Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollarbin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.